According to a consumer report released this week from the Canadian market research firm Abacus Data, Canadian travel intent has changed drastically in the last week. Of about 18.2 million adult Canadians planning on taking a vacation, 20% said that they are avoiding travel, and 32% are making changes to their vacation. That is the equivalent to a 52% loss in the vacation market, about 10 million adult Canadians, due to COVID-19. Airlines are taking similar hits. Out of 17.2 million adult Canadians who were to travel by air, 26% said that they would avoid air travel, while 25% are making changes to their air travel plans. Hi there, Alpaca Pals. No, this isn't our regular programming. And that's because what is happening on the planet right now isn't our regular programming either. It's now been several weeks since the new coronavirus, COVID-19, was first discovered. Since December, it's spread from China to over 80 countries. So why are we chatting about this on Alpaca My Bags? Well, this virus is doing more than just making people sick. It's impacting global economies. It's resulting in closed borders. It's perpetuating xenophobia and xenophobia. And of course, it's impacting tourism. Alpaca pals, Katie and I felt it was time that we talk about this. So we're going to discuss facts about COVID-19 in a constructive way with Emily, a medical professional who's going to share with us her educated perspective. But before we dive in, I want to acknowledge a few things that I think are important in this conversation. First, this is a rapidly changing world event. The information we share today, March 12th, may not be relevant long term, so please keep that in mind. Second, it's important to diversify your information about COVID-19. Make sure your sources are reliable and relevant to your region. In the show notes of this episode, we will share some of those reliable sources. Third, I want to acknowledge that this is a scary moment. There's a lot of misinformation floating around, especially on Facebook, and there's people that are sharing differing views on the severity of this virus. And that is what makes this scary. And it's okay to be scared. While many of us are concerned for our physical health and the physical health of our loved ones, remember that mental health, though often invisible, is important too. It's okay to feel scared. It's okay to feel anxious. We're in this together. And it's okay to talk about it. All right, here we go. Emily is a registered nurse and a travel blogger who has a passion for humanitarian nursing. She has worked and volunteered in nearly a dozen developing countries, including working in an Ebola clinic during the outbreak in West Africa. She goes on medical missions once or twice a year, and she is super skilled at sifting through news and reports to find reliable information about COVID-19. Emily has been actively sharing reliable sources and information on the Instagram account that she runs, which is at Two Dusty Travelers. Katie and I thought it was the right time to bring her on to chat with us about this virus and about what this means for travel. Thanks so much for joining us, Emily. I really love the phrase you've been emphasizing, facts over fear. Yeah, thank you. Happy to be here. Um, so I'm just going to dive right in. Do you think that there's been unnecessary hysteria about COVID-19? Yeah, well... 
Is this outbreak scary? Yes, 100%. I think it's serious and it needs to be taken seriously. Um, I don't, however, think there's any benefit to panicking. Um, I kind of think there's a like, parallel outbreak of, of misinformation and pseudoscience going around that's just sparking a lot of anxiety um, that isn't really necessary. You know, panic isn't going to give anybody any extra layer of protection above all the other extra layers of protection that we're, you know, being told to start practicing. So yeah, so I think I think the hysteria is is not helpful. Yes. Yeah, I and this was one of the first moments that it really became like evident to me that this is real. I went to the grocery store yesterday to get toilet paper and there was none. And it was one of those moments where I'm like yeah. very frustrated, but I'm also like, yeah. okay, I understand why people are freaking out, but like, can we not be a little more reasonable about yeah. this? <laughs> it's an, the toilet paper is an odd psychological phenomenon because I'm not really sure what people think. Why toilet paper? <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. like <laughs> why specifically that? It's not really going to protect you any more than <laughs> it's certainly not what you specifically need for this virus is toilet paper, you know? Um, I think so. it might be pointing to like an innate fear we all have and that's like running out of toilet paper. For sure. <laughs> Which meanwhile, honestly, like for, for, you know, two weeks ago when this was nothing really, and at least in the United States, I was like not even really thinking about it and then realized, oh my gosh, we are almost out of toilet paper and I actually need some just for like, like a regular life, like a couple of rolls. <laughs> yeah. I don't and this is what rolls, happened to but... <laughs> us. Like we were like, oh, whatever, like there will be toilet paper when we yeah, need it. And like, now there no. isn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, so let's start by rolling through some of the common um, true and false points that you've been sharing actively on social media. Could you just tell us some of the like the real truths about COVID-19? Yeah, so real truths, I would say important to know, you know, mortality rate is somewhere around two to three percent. I mean, the more and more testing becomes widely available, we'll actually figure out, you know, is that an accurate? Well, my opinion is that, you know, mortality rate will go down because as you've also seen another another true fact is that 80% of these cases of COVID-19 are are pretty mild so if you're not feeling bad enough to go to the doctor and get tested um, or if your country doesn't seem to be testing widely um, then all you're really seeing and getting tested and getting data on are the worst cases so that skews your mortality rate quite badly once we get that denominator you know fixed the mortality rate will start to go should start to go down so yeah, you know, mortality rate is somewhere two three percent, which obviously is quite a significant amount more than the seasonal flu, a very significant amount less than something like Ebola, which was easily over fifty percent. You know, so this is serious, yes, but it's not gonna you know kill us all. It's certainly not a disease that is coming <laughs> only spreading only by Asian people. I know, I understand that it originated in China. Um, but that's just happenstance, really. The more we start to encroach on wild areas and we're going to have more diseases appearing in our societies, it's going to be here or Asia or Africa. There's really no way to know for sure you know, where they're going to come from. That It just happened to start in China. So you certainly don't have any higher risk of getting it from you know, your Asian neighbor than you do from your white neighbor. <laughs> Been seeing a lot of... Um, you know, racist comments and 
um, racism against Asian Americans. So that's really awful to see. And, you know, seeing all of our local Asian restaurants really struggling. So that's hard to see. And the irony, Um, like I I saw a meme about this recently, like people aren't boycotting Italian restaurants and yet like Italy is one of the hardest hit. And so I think that like really demonstrates how this is xenophobia. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And what are like the real symptoms of COVID-19? Yeah, so what we are screening for in hospitals right now is a fever or a cough or shortness of breath. Those are the big ones. Um, I'm a big proponent. This, And again, I will say just to cover myself, I am not providing personalized medical advice. You should see your physician if you are concerned. I'm also not representing my employer. You know, this is just Emily talking with you guys. Um But, you know, if we're going to agree that 80% of these cases are mild, uh, in my opinion, and what other countries have been successfully been doing that are successfully battling this, is testing everybody, even if they have mild symptoms. So if you have a cough, that's not something to just, like, ignore right now and go wandering around coughing in the street because you don't also have a fever and you don't also feel like you can't breathe. So to me right now, even mild symptoms are something to be taken seriously, depending on also, you know, what, how high the risk is in the setting that you are in. So yeah, cough, fever, shortness of breath are the, are the big ones. Okay. And um, the World Health Organization, I believe it was like earlier this week, they did declare this a pandemic. Do, are you able to define for us what a pandemic is? You know, it's kind of a squishy uh, definition. It's, I mean, they would say a new disease that spreads around the world, beyond expectations, but it's not like you hit a certain number of deaths or a certain mortality rate, and then it just like triggers this pandemic definition. It's not that at all. It's more kind of a political tool, I would say. Um, they, I think they've been holding off on saying pandemic because you don't want to panic everyone. But then also, I think you can see that yesterday they decided we're going to call it a pandemic, and it's kind of WHO's way of saying like, hey guys, wake up. This is real. We need to be serious about this. And then, you know, 24 hours later, you can see some massive changes happening, at least in the United States. It's what I can speak on um, that, you know, people are waking up and realizing we need to get aggressive about this on the front end rather than chasing it constantly. Yeah. And we've definitely felt that shift here in Canada as well. Um, Like yesterday. Yeah. My company was like, no one's coming in anymore. Everyone's working from home. And I think like that is directly tied to the World Health Organization making this statement. What are like the common false uh, tidbits that you're hearing? Because I know from our previous conversation, you've heard some like ridiculous assumptions about the virus. I mean, it's it's so funny now because I put I put this post up that went a little viral. And like that was two weeks ago when we had a handful of cases. And so now everything I have to say is completely different, but I just got a flood of DMs of people that, you know, had heard, you know, does, does pizza cure the virus or like, can, I'm going to get, if I'm going to go on vacation and be in the pool, is it going to spread through the water? And like, you know, or any number of, you know, crazy videos that are coming out from countries all over the world. I don't have any way of verifying if some video that came from China that they're, you know, like they're burying, they're throwing bodies in the street and burning them. Like, I don't have any way of verifying if that is true. And I'm certainly not going to base my understanding of this on some random video you saw on Twitter. Um, so I think that's important to be getting your news from a few reliable sources. 
and not go just like spelunking around the internet for information because you're not going to get anything that makes you feel better. Yeah, I'm like finding even for myself, like staying off Facebook right now is a great yeah. choice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Facebook got pretty wild. Yeah. So things have changed pretty drastically, as we were saying, especially in the last week. Um, a lot of governments are now talking actively about social distancing. Um, could you give a quick explanation of what it is and why it's being recommended? Yeah. So social distancing is being rec- well. You also probably see the terminology uh, flattening the curve um, coming up a lot uh, from now here on out. So the idea of social distancing is exactly what it sounds like to keep yourself physically away from other people and restrict social activities as much as possible um, in order to flatten the epidemic curve. And I'll kind of explain what that means. But um, as far as social distancing, the WHO is saying, if you want a specific definition, one meter or three feet away from other people um, is your goal. That's how far they think the virus can spread. If in like if someone coughs, I think how far they think the droplets could you know fly through the air. Um, and I this is a little bit of a semantic thing, but as a nurse, I have to say um, there's a lot of a lot going back and forth about whether this virus is airborne, and that means one thing to medical professionals and maybe something else to the general public. So the general public would say, well, if you're coughing and it's in the air, it, it's flying through the air, it's airborne. And I like I hear that and I know that's what that word means to most people. But in the medical community, an airborne virus is something more like measles, which means that you can like stand in a room with someone who has measles and they can breathe or cough or whatever. And then it will just like hang in the air and all you have to do is be in the general area with them. And this is not this is not from what the information we have right now, COVID is not like that. Like you have to be close enough that they could cough. And like, so what the WHO is saying is three feet, that they cough and the droplets would fly over and get into your mucous membranes, your eyes, your nose, your mouth. So, um, and it also requires different personal protective equipment for medical care providers, um, whether it's airborne or not airborne. So it's an important distinction, at least for us. So that's why they're saying three feet, because they think that's as far as the droplets can go. And as far as flattening the curve, so, you could Google flatten the curve or Google epidemic curve, and you'll see this graph, which is really nice to kind of look at and get an idea of what I'm talking about. But what we're trying to do is slow the pace of new cases, because if you let an outbreak just go with um, no no restrictions, no social distancing, um, this one in particular, uh, you're going to get a ton of cases really fast, and our healthcare systems are not built uh, to be able to handle that. So, you know, the reports I'm seeing out of Italy now are you have hospitals overwhelmed, there are not enough beds, there are not enough respirators for the people who've gotten so sick that they need respiratory support. Whereas if we can get ahead of that um, and use social distancing to stop this from spreading so fast, you know, and maybe we end up getting the same number of cases in the end, but it takes months instead of weeks then it doesn't overwhelm our healthcare system and, and healthcare providers can still take care of people in an adequate way. The, you know, the, the worst case scenario being like what I saw in West Africa during Ebola is like Ebola just totally destroyed, overcame the healthcare systems overall. So people were dying of things that besides Ebola, things that you never, childbirth or, you know, a stroke or things that you maybe would not have died of 
before because you had enough nurses and enough hospital beds and enough equipment and all of that. But Ebola had so overtaken the healthcare system that like all the nurses and doctors fell ill and or died. You know, the equipment was all used up. Like, so <laughs> you, you know, people couldn't get care for anything, let alone Ebola. I'm not saying like that. I'm not saying that's where we're heading in the United States. Like I have confidence that <laughs> we will prevent this before that happens, especially with all the measures we've started to take today. Um, but that's the goal of this to spread out this epidemic and have like fewer cases all at once so that our, our healthcare system doesn't get totally overwhelmed. And so it sounds like anyone who is able to practice social distancing, regardless of like, if you're immunocompromised, if you're older, if you're young, like, for example, I am young and healthy, but it's still beneficial for me to practice social distancing, because it's more for the greater good. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, a perfect example is my, my mom is over 60. And honestly, I recently lost my dad. So I'm feeling very protective of her. And I'm like, you are, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be hanging out with her, unfortunately, until I feel more comfortable about this because I'm a healthcare worker. So I'm exposed to people all day, every day. And I'm not going to take that home to my mother, who's technically in a high risk group because she's over age 60. So you know, we all have a responsibility to have an understanding of who we're exposing ourselves to and then who, you know, who in our lives are high risk and are we putting them at risk. So, yeah, if you have the ability to work from home um, and, you know, not go to a big concert, always have the ability to not go to a concert, you know, <laughs> like just chill out for just, you know, this is introverts. Congratulations. <laughs> you know, we've all been waiting for this moment. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> My cats are very happy that I'm home every day yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So immunocompromised people, this would mean like people who are elderly, you were saying 60 plus, do children fall into this category as well? You know, we don't have a ton of data, again, because it's such a new virus, but it, it the data I have now that I'm seeing, doesn't it doesn't seem like this particular virus is very severe in children. That said, they very well may be spreading it quite easily and like you know in in school so many kids in a classrooms all together you know whether or not they're getting super sick or whether or not the children themselves are going to die of it is kind of beside the point it's more that they're spreading it so i don't i have not seen data that like children are at a high risk group we're not treating them that way it's, it's more um people who are immune compromised people who are over age 60 um pregnant women um those are the groups that I think we're trying to protect right now. And, you know, as far as the social distancing, you know, it's not one size fits all. Um, I think depending on how, how high risk of a geographic location you're in right now, like in Seattle, we're all being pretty careful because we're kind of the epicenter right now. Um, whereas if you're in a place that there have been no cases, you certainly don't need to like barricade yourself in your home. But I do also think, Americans, at least, need to be aware that just because you you have no cases reported in your city doesn't mean there aren't any. We're not really doing a very good job at all of testing in the U.S. right now. So just because you don't haven't had a confirmed test in your city or your county doesn't mean you are at zero risk. So a little bit of social distancing, hand washing, staying away from people who are sick, not going to big outings, you know, group events right now, I think is a great idea for everybody. And how long do you think people can expect to be needing to practice this? 
I wish I knew. Yeah. So it's a waiting game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So obviously it's been all over the news. People are hoarding a lot of things. Um, (laughs) can we talk like practicalities? What are things that people, especially if they're practicing social distancing should be picking up and keeping in their homes? I mean, especially if you're in a low risk group, like I'm still in the grocery store. I'm not barricaded in my home. You know, I, I don't, I mean, I don't, I personally am not stocking up to have enough food to eat for a month without leaving my home at all. I, however, am like advising my higher risk family members and friends who are like living in Seattle and also in a high risk geographic area to like maybe get your groceries online, you know? Um, I think what I would focus on having, because I I think we're probably moving into a a future where like a lot of us are going to get this, but 80% of the cases are going to be mild is like have the meds you would have for if you were sitting at home with the flu or a cold, you know, um, have Tylenol and ibuprofen for a fever and like whatever your favorite cough medicine is and like tissues. But again, I'm not, I don't think anyone needs to go overboard. Um, leave something for your neighbors. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think like, and this is just a personal thought I've been having recently, like it's been very individualist the way that people are approaching this. And it's like, you need to remember that there are other people that have needs and like, we're much stronger if we work together against this than if we all just like, it's a fight. Yeah. And if you you have all the hand sanitizer in your town, (laughs) like (laughs) other people need hand sanitizer in order to prevent them giving it to you. So like, we all need to stay healthy in order for you personally to stay healthy, you know? Yeah. Like uh, protecting yourself doesn't mean like you'll, you're still susceptible if other people are not able to be protected. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I know. I will say, I'll, I'll add on to that too. A good idea to like, especially for um, high risk groups to get your prescriptions filled. So you're not, you know, home, not able to get your like actual medications that you need. That's a good idea to definitely get that filled. Um, one thought I had was I think it'd be really great if people like thought about how we can help each other so for example I thought okay like worst case scenario if I get sick what will I do if I don't have things that I need and I think you've made a great point like there are services to have things delivered and also like reach out to friends and family and have them leave these things in your mailbox there's yeah, a way exactly. to like there's get no, things yeah still there's no reason your your well friends and family can't come and drop stuff off on your doorstep and then sanitize their hands or you know don't invite them in and like hug and (laughs) hang out all day while you're ill but there's you know look none of us know 100 what's going to happen i don't foresee such a a breakdown of our society that you know there will be no one left to bring you medicine like (laughs) you know there will be no way to get toilet paper like i don't think that's what's happening. So I wanted to pivot a little bit to talk about travel um, because there's a lot to unpack, I think, right now, especially with more recent announcements. Um, So for example, as of recently, India, Sri Lanka, and the USA are restricting incoming travel. Um, But despite this, some travelers are seeing this moment as an opportunity to travel because of low flight fares. I know that like a few weeks ago, even I was like, oh, it's fine. Like you can still travel right now. But literally as of this week, I feel like there's been a shift and 
you know, a lot of people are seeing this as a great opportunity to travel. I'm even seeing the hashtag like Corona vacation. But I feel like this is a little bit irresponsible because you're still, even if you are healthy, doesn't mean that like you're not going to impact the health of other people who are more susceptible. For sure. I mean, yeah. Do I think this is a great time to go on vacation right now? Like, no, I don't. I think there's a, there's a line of argument that says, you know, that I was even saying a few days ago that like, okay, well, basically coronavirus is everywhere now. So like, I personally am not at any higher risk going, you know, to Costa Rica than I am being in America because whatever, I don't know how many cases there are in Costa Rica. It's just an example, but you're not necessarily at a higher risk in another country because it's, it's pretty much all over. But like you're saying, we have a responsibility to more than ourselves right now. Um, and you have to think about if, like, right, me, I'm at the, I'm at, <laughs> I'm at a high risk geographic location. So if I go somewhere that maybe doesn't have a lot of cases right now, and I don't realize I'm incubating this virus, and then I'm spreading it to a new place and to people who are high risk, and, you know, vice versa, people bringing it from places that are high risk to my town. Yeah, it's something that we need to be very much aware of. Um, so I think, yeah, it's definitely more of a, more than a personal decision right now. All of us are in contact with people who are high risk, who are older than 60 or immune compromised or pregnant, like all of us. So to say, I'm just going to go on a vacation and it's no big deal. I think it's definitely more complicated than that right now. I mean, on top of which I think you need to think about what happens if you get sick. So I'm like, sure, I'd love to take a corona vacation right now, coronavirus vacation right now. But I'm thinking I'm coming from Seattle. I'm a healthcare worker. I'm at a higher risk for contracting this. What happens when I'm on the beach in Mexico and I start to feel sick? Like, how do I get tested? How do I get treated? How do I get home? Are they going to let me go home? Am I in a place that has quality healthcare? You know, it's there's a lot of questions to ask about this right now. So it's not as simple as like, oh, flights are cheap. Let's do it. Yeah, totally. And like another element to tack on to that is like, is it right to go to another country and then like add yourself to their healthcare system as someone who requires treatment? You're putting like the onus now on another healthcare system to support you. So what do you think travelers should be considering right now? Like, do you feel like it's a hard no to travel or are there still places that like like a lot of people are going to Mexico right now and it it has me wondering like is that a hard no or is it okay to go I mean personally personally I would not be taking a vacation right now because it's just not necessary and things are just changing so fast that I don't know what's going to be happening in a week you know I, I mean I have friends that think they're going to Disneyland at the end of the month and I'm I'm like I think I just read that Disneyland is talking about closing so I don't I don't think that's you know things that maybe a week ago seemed like they were going to be fine are not fine now um so to me there are a lot of different reasons to travel if you're traveling just for fun right now I I don't think it's necessary to hold off um see how things go in the next few weeks on the other hand, there are people who are traveling because, I don't know, their babies are being born or they're having a family emergency or 
I don't know, they're moving or, you know, like there are reasons to travel. And I'm not saying no one should get on a plane, but I think if you have travel that's not necessary, it'd be fine to just hold off and see how this goes. Yeah, totally. It's worth rethinking. Do you think that risks to your personal health are higher if you choose to travel at this stage? What I've been reading from like CDC and WHO is that being on a plane in itself, the setting of a plane isn't putting you at any higher risk because this virus isn't airborne. So it's not as though someone breathing in the back of the plane is just circulating this virus all through the plane. Uh, if you sit next to someone who is sick and they cough on you, for sure, but it, that's the same as if you were to get on public transport or, you know, sit next to a coworker or, you know, social distancing, really. So if you can get on a plane and, and the plane's half empty and no one's sitting next to each other, you're not really at any higher risk just from being on a plane. I also think it's really difficult to assess level of risk based on looking at number of cases in a place. So you could, you know, pull up the latest World Health Organization situation report. They put out a new sit rep every day and you could, in theory, look at that list and be like, who has no cases and go there. There's, and that would be a like very low level risk to you, I suppose, in theory. I very much wonder if some of the places that are reporting no cases actually have no cases or if they just haven't tested for whatever reason, lack of testing or availability or know, they haven't happened to get a case that was serious enough yet to feel like they needed to test. You know, so I don't think we can say with any certainty that there is anywhere in the world that is 100% free of this and you have no risk. Yeah. And I think the other question is health insurance, because I've been reading like reports that health insurance might not cover you anymore um, if you fall sick in a country not your own. Yeah, that's an interesting. I mean, I vividly remember going to Sierra Leone for the Ebola outbreak and I called my health insurance and I was like, I'm reading this to say that it has a cap of, you know, whatever it was, $3,000, who knows? And I'm like, I just want to clarify, if I get Ebola... And I need the most expensive healthcare treatment known to man and to be like medevaced and everything. Like my maximum out of pocket is $3,000. And they were like, yep. I'm like, okay, okay. I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> so clarify that if you're going to, if you're going to jump on a plane, clarify. And I don't even know if you can clarify this as of today. I, I don't know if you'll get a solid answer. Clarify what happens to you if you get sick. Are they going to medevac you home or they're not going to put you on a commercial airline. So, yeah, those are some important questions to think about. Yeah, definitely. And on the note of health insurance, for all y'all who travel without health insurance, because I know you <laughs> people exist, <laughs> get health insurance. Just do it. <laughs> um, so according to the report that we mentioned at the top of the episode, it's by Abascus Data, which is a marketing research firm here in Canada. Um, there's a sense that while the pandemic is a serious issue, it is only temporary. So when they asked what Canadians would do if they had booked travel outside of Canada over the next six months, 72% of Canadians said that they would still go, but take precautionary measures. So I feel like this is like a bit vague because, for example, I have travel booked for May, which is now seven weeks away and I'm I'm slowly coming to the conclusion that it might not happen I'm supposed to go to India and their borders are closed so this might not happen whereas I feel like six months in advance might you might be in the clear 
what do you do you have any idea like do you think that things will change rapidly like because this came on so quickly I think people have a sense that it might slow down really quickly as well it's so hard to say and this is my personal opinion but it it's so widespread now like I feel like we're still at the beginning of this it's it's so widespread now and we're all just starting in many places to practice this really aggressive social distancing and shutting schools and working from home and I think in a lot of places, this is going to get worse before it gets better. I mean, someplace like, I'm not sure how many cases India has right now, but someplace like India that it, it in many places is very densely packed population wise. Um, it's going to be difficult to contain the spread. So it's, it's really difficult to imagine what this is going to look like six months from now. Uh, I hope that because countries get ahead of it and do some very aggressive mitigation efforts that, you know, we'll see what we've seen in a couple of under other countries. I think Hong Kong and Singapore, both their their case, uh, their new cases are dropping because they've done some really aggressive measures um, to stop the spread. So I'm hoping that that's what we'll see other countries doing the same thing and see these case numbers start to drop. But, you know, it'll be country by country and it's hard to really know. Like, I, I don't think this is going to, you're going to wake up one day and it'll be like, oh, COVID's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're past that. I think yeah. this is going to be with us for a while. Some people have said to me that, um, I have no idea if this is factual, but that heat is less um, habitable for the virus, which is why allegedly countries that are hotter are seeing less um, cases. Do you do you have any insight on this? Like, or is that I, I complete hope bullshit? That's true. You know, and I've heard some speculation about whether you know when summer rolls around, if because that happens with like other some other other illnesses that they don't do very well once the weather gets warmer. I certainly hope that's true. This is too new for us to know that for sure. And like, I haven't seen any any data on this, so I don't know. But you know, yeah, I've heard people saying like, oh, there don't seem to be many, be many cases in Africa. Um, but, you know, I also not to not to generalize about an entire continent because there there are there you can get great healthcare in many places in Africa. Um, but there are a lot of places in Africa where they certainly don't have the ability to test for this. So I question whether there really are very few cases in maybe some very warm countries or or whether they just haven't been, you know, confirmed with testing yet. Right. And I guess that's like a lot of the gray area in this and like looking at data in general, it's hard to get the real picture because when it's a global issue, you don't know how people's testing compares to like the standards you have in your own country. Yeah. And even our, I mean, in our, I will, I can only speak for America, but our standards right now are not great. Yeah. I don't know what went on between the first case we had in January and this explosion of cases couple weeks ago but it was as though (laughs) no one thought well maybe we should get testing capability up and running in the meantime so yeah so that that's 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 my biggest worry right now like we need to get testing going now yesterday because we don't really have any idea what's really going on unless we can get widespread testing yeah yeah so if like because I'm healthy and practicing social distancing, like say I started to feel sick, would you say it is important to go out and get tested or is it better to just stay quarantined? Yeah, I would say 
it quarantined yourself anyway. Um, in a lot of cases in the States, you can do like a telehealth visit with your doc. So if you can avoid going to the doctor's office, fantastic. But either way, call your doctor if you have a cough or a fever, which is a hundred temperature of 100.4 or more, or shortness of breath, call your doctor's office. There's no reason to go in unless you're feeling like acutely ill. Certainly don't go to an ER where you're either going to spread something or catch something and everybody's already so busy. But yeah, call your doctor, let them know what's going on. In a perfect world, what I would like is everyone who has symptoms to be tested. The countries that are successfully combating this are testing widely. Truly any, you know, I know the administration right now is saying anybody who can get a test can get one. That's just factually untrue. Uh, but in, in some countries it is true. Anybody who can get it, who wants a test can get one. I would love to see that happen. I think we need to know who really has this, where they are, so that we can isolate those people, treat them, and like stop the chain of transmission. So I would say, call your doctor, request a test. You may get, depending on where you are, you may get resistance. So if they say no to you, then it's your responsibility to isolate yourself anyway. I've been working the public health phone banks a bit, and the recommendations we're giving out right now are to um, isolate yourself until you have been symptom free for 72 hours. So oh, that's what okay. I'd recommend. Yeah. Mm. Very good to know. Well, it's, um, it's sad news, I think, like, especially on a travel podcast, because I know everyone wants to be traveling right now. But unfortunately, I think the conclusion is it's not the best time to travel. This is something we've been hearing. So companies in Toronto have been telling employees that come back that they need to quarantine themselves for 14 days, what, like regardless of if you have uh, symptoms. Have you heard of this happening? And like, is there is <laughs> yeah. there logic to that? I've heard of this. <laughs> to, mm, it's so hard. Uh, there, I can see uh, what people are thinking in an excess of caution because there is our best data we have right now is saying that that coronavirus can uh, be contagious before you show symptoms. So like like Ebola was was not that way. Like I, I you can't spread Ebola unless you are already sick. So like my work wouldn't let me come to work, and I'm like this makes no sense scientifically. Like I don't have a fever. I'm not sick. I can't spread this. But they didn't want me to come to work anyway. <laughs> like okay, um, this one is not. This one is is a little bit more iffy because yeah, you can in theory spread this before you show symptoms. I'm I I would just based on what I know of viruses, I would assume that the sicker you are, the you know the more you spread. But we'll find out that data the more we find out about this particular virus. But I don't necessarily think that at that at this point when we have confirmed cases in like the majority of countries in the world i don't know that you're necessarily at any more risk having just been on vacation than you are in your own hometown certainly my hometown you know <laughs> in seattle i don't think you can tell tell me that oh i went to mexico and now i'm at a higher risk than if i am just walking around seattle right now um if you come i mean if you come from a super high risk area like china maybe but i don't i don't i mean i think as this becomes more and more you see more and more community transmission widespread through lots of different communities and countries like i don't know that travel is going to make that much of a difference to your to your risk status unless of course you're traveling somewhere to the, like italy right now or iran or china yeah 
Yeah. But that's all going to change very swiftly too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Being in an airport apparently is like quite safe now because they're sanitizing them so intensively. <laughs> <laughs> my boss had to take a flight recently and she was like it was like the cleanest flight I've ever been on yeah. I felt so safe <laughs> yeah I mean I think I think it's just about being in like in big crowds of people regardless so if it's by I guess by that by that measure then your employer should also not let you come to work if you've gone to a concert you know if if they're just saying you've been in a big crowd at an airport I'm worried you know we, at some point, you can't, we are not going to be able, I guess this is what we're trying to do in Seattle right now, but you really can't, you can't fully isolate every single person in the entire world for 14 days. That's that's not going to happen. So, yeah, we just got to do the best we can. Yeah. And it, I think it's important to emphasize that, like, the best we can is an individual um, case. So, like, for people who... I am very privileged to have a job that allows me to work remote. So my income is not being impacted by this. But of course, there are people who work in the service industry and don't have um, the luxury of just staying at home all day to do their work. And so I think it's really important to acknowledge that, that like this is case by case and what what is working for us might not work for someone else. Yeah. And like, I hope this sparks a big conversation in the United States about sick paid sick leave and child care and you know the affordability of health care i so you're definitely going to see people that aren't getting tested because they think they can't afford it. they know they can't afford the test or they can't take the day off work if they get a week or two off work if they get tested positive you know or people who are who can't find child care for their children like it's it, there's a lot of other issues surrounding this so yeah it's definitely not one size fits all yeah I had a thought today, like before we started recording with you, um, I told Katie, I like this is a travel podcast. And so we wanted to make this episode about COVID-19 and travel. Mm -hmm. But I had to tell her, I was like, part of me feels like that is so frivolous in a way, yeah. because like there are way more important issues to talk about when it comes to COVID-19. Like, I guess what I'm saying is I feel privileged and gross about the fact that I am admittedly very sad right now to know that I'm probably not going on my next trip and that feels really shitty I think that's just I mean that's just reality though I mean yeah and we we have to be talking about travel because it's gonna affect how this disease spreads and I want people to have you know nowhere to find reliable solid information and make good choices and I mean we are very lucky to have the choice to travel for sure, but it needs to be to be discussed. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I will say <laughs> not all travel is not OK. I mean, my husband's off work and he we're, he's going camping, with, <laughs> like, which is essentially isolation. Yeah. Know? He's like, I'm going to go out with my friends who are also teachers and also off work. And he's like, we're not going to touch each other. We're just going to like go camping and have a good time. And like, oh, my God, that's fine. Like, <laughs> You know, I think there you could there you can get around it. You know, that's the kind For, I mean, of Corona vacation people should be taking: go out into the yeah, woods, go camping, <laughs> go hiking, enjoy the outdoors. You know, which which again also and I you know is also a privileged position too. There are plenty of people who, you know, can't go on that kind of a vacation because they don't have the physical ability or they don't have all the gear or whatever. But uh, that's what we're going to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> 
get that fresh air. Yeah, for sure. We're all going to go a little stir crazy if we don't go out hiking. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Emily. This has been really enlightening. Yeah, happy to help. So hopefully we'll all be talking in a few months about all the great trips we're planning. I hope so. (laughs) I also have a vacation in May that I'm like, please, I'm just... Oh, I know. You're like rooting for some really aggressive social mitigation tactics. (laughs) Like, just shut the country down. Well, that's the thing. Part of me was like, maybe like I should be happy that India's cut their, like shut their borders because hopefully this means that they'll be able to mitigate what's happening. Hopefully. Honestly, yeah, I'm happy that this is happening. Like, I mean, again, to compare to Ebola, like when like Trump was ranting about, you know, closing our borders to West Africa. And I'm like, this is such a totally different disease. It wasn't spreading the way this is spreading. You know, in that case, he was really encouraging people to like lie so they could get on a plane, you know, because people are going to get on a plane if they want to get on a plane, you know. So there are certain situations where closing borders is just like really counterproductive and unnecessary but i think we've hit a point now where i'm like yeah let's get this under control let's do this so we can all go back to regular life eventually yeah thanks for listening in today alpaca pals we hope that everyone is safe and feeling supported If you need to talk, feel free to DM us, tweet us, email us. We're always going to answer you. For regular updates on COVID-19, go and follow Two Dusty Travelers. There's also at science.sam and at WHO, which is the World Health Organization. These are some great resources on Instagram. We also recommend tuning into your local governments for updates, as well as the World Health Organization. We'll link these resources in the show notes. And if you are thinking of traveling, please check your local government's travel advisories. All right, Alpaca Palace, thanks for listening in. And guess what? Our next episode will be out next Wednesday. So tune in then to listen to the second part of our sustainable travel series. All right, chat soon. I hope you get to, well, maybe you won't get to. We'll see. I'll pack my bags. I don't know.